Good morning. Hey, welcome to everybody here. And uh, if you're a first-time guest, man, we're grateful that you're here. A big hello to everybody this morning uh, watching online in Palm Bay and Deland. Also, we're glad that you guys are here as well. I was uh, fortunate to get the travel uh, this past week. I had to be in Indianapolis uh, for a meeting, and then I had a I got an opportunity to preach in Bloomington, Indiana, and. Uh, you know, I looked around for the statue of Pastor Shane in Indiana. I couldn't find it anywhere, I, I, you know. But uh, but anyway, I was traveling and I drove. I, 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 I like to drive. And so I took the time to drive up to Indianapolis. And I took a different route. I went up, you know, usually go up 10 to 75. This time I took a route that went through South Carolina. And I found myself in South Carolina. It was late. Uh, I needed to... To, to use the, the restroom, uh, didn't need gas, so I found this exit in the middle of nowhere in South Carolina, and I got out to go to the bathroom. And as I was walking toward the gas station, there was a guy that was coming from the gas pumps into the, 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 the gas station as well, and I got to the door first, first, and I pulled the door open for him, and he came behind me, he was a little bit older, he came behind me, he said, no, 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 sir, don't worry about it, and he grabbed the door. So I walked in in front of him, and as he came in and in behind me, there was another door that you have to go into to get into the restaurant, or into the gas station. And as he came up to the door, he said, you know who Greg Popovich is? Now, some of you don't know who that is. Doesn't matter. It, it is irrelevant to the story. I said, of course I know who Greg Popovich is. And he goes, you, you look just like Greg Popovich. Now, I know it was late at night, and I know, I know that, you know, I, I was I don't know about his, you know, faculties, if he was all there, but he said, I look just like that guy. Now, at 57 years old, I'm not a vain man, but. If I look like that guy at midnight in South Carolina, that's an uncomfortable truth for me, okay? That's just how I felt, right? There's a, there's a, there's a story of a gal who comes home from a date one night. She tells her mom, her mom looks at her and immediately knows she's had a good night and a bad night. And her mom says, hey, honey, how did the date go? And, and the daughter starts crying. She goes, oh, mom, it was so great on one hand. She goes, he proposed to me tonight. And her mom was like, oh, honey, that's so good. And she said, I know it is. But she said, he also told me that he's an atheist and he doesn't even believe in hell. And her mom looked at her and she said, oh, sweetheart. She said, you go ahead and marry him anyway. And together we'll just prove to him how wrong he really is. You get it? One, two, they're going to, they're going to. They're going to tag up on him and yeah, some of you are hesitant to laugh like, uh, right? Uncomfortable truths, right? There are just some things in the world that are uncomfortable because they're true, right? There are just some things that you and I have to learn to sort of choke down or accept about life, about living, Right? 
if if you're going to be okay in the world, those uncomfortable truths that just pop their head up on a day-to-day basis. And the Bible's no different. Listen, anybody that would try to tell you there's not some really hard, uncomfortable things in Scripture hasn't really paid much attention to it. There are some things in the Bible that are incredibly difficult. In chapter 47 of Isaiah, where we find ourselves today, chapter 47 of Isaiah points out a couple of these uncomfortable truths. You see, we've been, we've been following the story of Israel all throughout this book of prophecy. Right? You know the story, right? Israel was one nation. David reigned over them as king. His son Solomon stepped in and did the same thing. And after Solomon's death, the nation split. There was a disagreement on who was supposed to be in charge. And two men split the kingdom and ten of the tribes went to the northern kingdom called Israel. And the rest of them went south into, into a nation known as Judah. And we follow the demise of Israel. The northern tribe, we followed their demise because they refused to listen and honor God as God. And so God used the nation of Assyria to bring down the northern tribes. And now in the book of Isaiah, we are following Judah. We're following those southern tribes, that southern nation of people. And now God has raised up a new nation called Babylon. And Babylon has been raised up to take down Judah and to take them into captivity. And not just take them down, but to destroy their capital city, Jerusalem. And to wipe out God's place, the temple. And Isaiah 47 now speaks to the nation of Babylon. The very nation that God's used to bring bring Babylon to its knees. There's, I found this picture. Joe would be proud of me. I, I'm, Luann was here last night. And I forgot to show it so she could go home and tell Joe I used it. But I've got a picture of archaeological site at uh, Oldham. This is, this is sort of a modern day picture of Iraq. Just so you know, Babylon is modern day Iraq. For those of you that didn't know. And the capital city of the Babylonian Empire was actually 55 miles south, roughly, of Baghdad, the current capital city of Iraq. You can sort of see it here on the map as Babylon. I think I have another picture there. No picture there. Anyway, uh, they, uh, Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild the ruins, uh, tried to rebuild Babylon, the capital city, uh, outside of his palace in the late 70s. It didn't take. Um, but... But it's that nation that chapter 47 speaks about. And in it, there are two truths that I want to point out this morning that are incredibly uncomfortable for you and I when it comes to following God. So we're going to read just a few verses this morning out of Isaiah 47. So if you'll stand and let's just read these few verses here in chapter 47. If you read the whole chapter, uh, the theologians tell you that this is a funeral dirge. It's written in the beat in Hebrew poetry as a funeral dirge, but it's also written as what they call a taunt song. It's a funeral dirge, but it's written with an incredibly sarcastic tone, right? So here's what he says, starting in verse 8. He says, Now then listen, you wanton creature, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. 
I will never be a widow, Babylon says, or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment, on a single day. And in fact, Daniel 5 tells you that the Babylonian Empire fell in one single night. That Cyrus and the Persians had redirected the, the massive water supply into Babylon. And they had redirected that water supply by digging ditches. Lowered the water level so that the Persian Empire could enter into Babylon underneath the massive walls that had been built to protect it. And Daniel 5 tells us that in one night, the entire, the entire nation of Babylon fell. He says this is going to overtake you in a moment. On a single day, loss of children will come as widowhood as well. They will come upon you in full measure, God says to Babylon. In spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells, you have trusted in your... Listen to this. This is what God says to Babylon. You've trusted in your wickedness and you've said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge misleads you when you say to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. Disaster will come upon you and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. A catastrophe you cannot foresee will suddenly come upon you. You can be seated. Uncomfortable truths. There are some things in this world that are just uncomfortably true. And there are some things in this book and in this narrative that are uncomfortably true. And Isaiah gives us a couple of these. Here's the first one. God's sovereignty is real. You can look up the word sovereignty in the dictionary and here's what you're going to find. It's going to talk about power and it's going to talk about control, right? It's going to talk about absolute power and absolute control. Isaiah 47 verses 5 and 6. Here's what the writer, we just read it, said this. Sit in silence. Go into darkness, daughter of the Babylonians. No more will you be called queen of kingdoms. Listen to this. This is God speaking to Babylon. I was angry with my people and I des and desecrated. God said, I desecrated my inheritance. I, God, gave them into your hand and you showed them no mercy. Sovereignty. It's a difficult concept. And honestly, I listen to sermons all the time. I listen to lots and lots of preachers speak and it has been a long time since I've heard anybody talk about the sovereignty of God. Because it's an incredibly difficult concept. See, I was raised in a home with a father who was sovereign. Man, his word ruled the day. I don't know how many of you were raised in a home like that. Maybe it was your mom, but for me it was my dad. My dad's rule, my dad's rule for raising four kids was this. If he said it once, he said it a hundred thousand times. Children he would say, are to be seen and never heard. Anybody else ever heard that? Man, he's told that all the time. That, you know, that, that helped, that'll help a counselor pay for a yacht right there, right? right? Like, that's a messed up thing, right? Children to be seen and never heard. And listen, our days, our days growing up with our father were dictated by a man whose plans could change on a whim 
But when they did so, they did with sovereign authority and control. There was no debating. There was no proffering of another plan. There was no alternative. There was no, hey, dad, maybe we don't do that, right? Like, I got this. No, 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 no. For our home, sovereignty was a day-to-day experience for the bare children. So coming to terms with God's sovereignty to me didn't seem like it would be a difficult thing until I was 22. I've said, I've told you this before, but I had a dream to be the white Dr. J. I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. That's all I cared about. Every waking minute of my life was spent preparing to try to play basketball at the professional level. That's all I cared about doing. And I grew up with a dirt court and a coal bucket nailed to a tree in the backyard. And I would spend hours and hours and hours just practicing and playing because all I wanted to do. I found myself the recipient of a Division I scholarship and I was on my way. Unfortunately, I had made the decision entering my senior high school to become a Christian. And by the time it was two weeks before school to start my freshman year... God showed up to me at a basketball at a basketball outing in St. Louis and the Holy Spirit completely directed me that this was the college I needed to go to and I needed to give my life to serve the Lord. Most aggravating moment of my life. And I wrestled with that and I wrestled with that until I finally surrendered and went to Bible college. Now I got to play basketball at Bible college. I got to blow my knee out playing basketball in Bible college, right? I got, I got to play. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. But I sacrificed my dreams and my desires to follow Jesus. Fast forward to graduating in 1986 and stepping out of college away from all of our friends and moving to Ophala, Missouri to start a full-time ministry. We moved into a parsonage. We had one child. My wife was pregnant with the second Our second child, she was six months along, and within a month of being there, she had to go to the hospital because her water had broke. We were 23, 24 weeks into the pregnancy, and things weren't then as they are now when it comes to preemies. And so Lisa was rushed to the hospital at St. John's in St. Louis, Missouri, where they tried to keep her. They tried to keep her from delivering that baby. She eventually developed an infection, and so delivery was necessary. And on July the 10th, 1986, Josiah Amos Bear was born my second son. He weighed one pound and 11 ounces. He was perfect, but he was so small that literally he fit into the palm of my hand. And the doctors and the nurses and everybody worked feverishly that day to save our son's life to develop enough wherewithal to fight the infection he had gotten from his mother as he laid in the womb. And they took platelets from me to to give to our son to try to fight it. And 12 hours after birth, we sat in a storage closet with a makeshift table and chair, and we held our son as he passed away. And I thought I knew what it was like to follow sovereignty, being raised by my dad. And I realized in that moment I had no idea what it meant to follow a God who was completely sovereign. Because I didn't understand it. 
How could God honor my decision by taking our son away? I didn't get it. It didn't make any sense to me in any way whatsoever. And yet scripture tells us over and over again, listen to these verses. Psalm 115 verse 3. Psalmist writes this, our God is in heaven. Everybody read it with me. Everybody in Palm Bay to land, everybody online. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever is him. He's sovereign. How about this one? Psalm 135, 5-7. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The psalmist says the Lord does whatever pleases him. He does it in the heavens and on the earth and the seas and in the depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Right? Our God is sovereign. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul says it this way in the New Testament. In Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in accordance or in conformity with the purpose of his will. Our God is sovereign. Is he solvent or he isn't an easy thing to accept? That we, listen, especially here, we like to believe that we are in control. My guess is, in here, Palm Bay to land online, my guess is nobody forced you here by, by gunpoint today. If somebody did, just give a slight nod and we'll get you some help, Okay. But my guess is nobody forced you by gunpoint to come to church today. You exercised your free will. And my guess is, is that all of you, all of you online, Palm Bay Delin, my guess is that most of you, if not all of you, are wearing exactly what you chose to wear to church today. Now listen, I'm sure there's somebody in here where somebody went, uh-uh, you ain't wearing that. But for the most part, my guess is all of you used your free will to decide... What you were going to wear. You see, we love the notion of free will. We love the notion that free will is mine and my choice is mine. But here's the uncomfortable truth. All of that freedom that we possess simply operates under the direction of a God who is totally sovereign and does whatever he pleases. You want to, you want to hear it even harder? Listen to Romans 9. Romans 9, Paul writes to Jewish people who've heard Paul tell all these amazing promises to Gentiles. And the Jews reading the letter in Rome went, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought all of those were ours as Jewish people. How did they get the same benefit? And Paul addresses it. And listen to what he says in Romans chapter 9 and verse 16. It says, it does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. What does? For Scripture, listen to this. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, you remember Pharaoh, right? The guy who was in charge of Egypt, who oppressed the Israelites, two million strong for over 400 years, right? Forced them into heavy and hard labor as slaves. It's, this is God's perspective. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I, God says, I raised you up for this very purpose. That I might. That God says that I might display my power in you. That my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Stop there. The uncomfortable truth is that our God has a purpose and a plan that's far greater than the purpose and plan that you possess today. God says to a Jewish 
person reading the letter written in the first century of their greatest oppressor in world history, Pharaoh, who kept their nation in bondage for 400 years. He says to that Jewish person whose heritage is tied all the way back to Egypt, I raised that man up for my purpose. I put him there. I did that for my purpose and my name so that my power would be great. Man, a sovereign God is an uncomfortable truth, is it not, church? It's an incredibly difficult church. Bring that scripture back up, Lori. Listen to what it says. Therefore God... Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and God hardens who he wants to harden. One of you is going to say this. I did. When my son passed away, I said this, right? Why does God still blame us? For who can resist God's will? If God does what he pleases, how can you resist it? Listen to what God says through the Apostle Paul that some of the most difficult verses in all the Scripture to process. But who are you? Oh man, to talk back to God. That's how my dad rolled. Who are you? Children to be seen and not heard. Paul says of us, who are you to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me this way? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and for some common use? God likens us to the clay and himself to the potter. I, I don't know about you, but when I was in was I, kindergarten, first grade, I don't remember. They gave us a lump of clay and said, make something to take home to your mom. Right? And, you know, like dumb kids, we all made ashtrays. My, my mom didn't smoke. Right? But I didn't know what else to make. So I made an ashtray. And not one time in the middle of that did the clay stop me and go, Hey, stupid! You know your mom doesn't smoke. Never said it. So I made an ashtray and I took it home to mom and she went, Oh, it's so sweet. But she never used it. Well, she may have put hairpins in it or something. I don't know, right? Listen, listen. here's an uncomfortable truth, church. The uncomfortable truth is this, that our God's sovereignty is real. And one of the most difficult things for you and I to comprehend and accept about following God is that he's not. God wields absolute authority and control. I don't know how many of you know Johnny Erickson Tata. I'm sure most of you probably have heard of her. Her father was a reservist on the 1932 Olympic team. She was an active young girl, full of energy. And one day in July, 19, I don't remember the exact year, 70, I think. She found herself at Chesapeake Bay, swimming. And at one point in time of the day, she judged the depth of the water and she dove in. And unfortunately, she misjudged the depth of the water. And she found herself with a broken neck and her spine And she became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down. And she wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with the sovereignty of God. She said this years later, I think you have that quote back there, Lori. Johnny Erickson Tata wrote about God's sovereignty. She wrote a couple books. She learned to paint pictures 
um, by holding the toothbrush in her mouth or the paintbrush in her mouth. She learned to do all of that with her mouth. She's an amazing woman. You should read her story sometime if you're not familiar. She said, although God's sovereignty is pervasive, that does not mean we'll always be able to discern his purposes in the many events of life for why he has ordained things in secret. Decorative that will run contrary to what he has known or what he has made known in his moral or perceptive will. If embracing this tension, this mystery is offensive to you, I doubt if you will find much comfort in knowing that God is sovereign. But he is. Do I believe this because I can explain it? Do I believe it because it is that it is to my mind no longer a mystery? No, I believe it because this is what I see taught throughout the Bible. A woman, a quadriplegic, just having a good day at Chesapeake Bay. Just diving in with her friends and she broke her neck. And she wrestled with a God who decided in his sovereignty that that's what her life would be. John chapter 9 records the story of a man born blind. And all the Jews were taught and all the Jews believed that a man who was born blind was born blind because his parents had sinned. And so the question of the day was who sinned, his mom or his dad, that he should be born this way? And when Jesus was on the scene, here's what Jesus said. This man was neither, was not born blind because his mom or his dad sinned. John 9 records that Jesus says, this man was born blind so that God could have this moment in time. Amen, you say. But what if those eyes that were closed for a lifetime had been yours? You see, God's sovereign. Do you and I get to exercise free will? Of course we do. I could have chose to sleep in this morning and skip this mess because this was uncomfortable. I could have just called in, faked a cough, and told asked Shane to play last night and not have to not have to look at you face to face and talk about this. Because it's a difficult concept. But being a Christian is partly about following a God who is sovereign. In his will. So much so that maybe your ancestor spent 400 years in bondage to an evil Pharaoh just so God's name could be made great in a moment. It's an uncomfortable truth to follow a sovereign God. Isaiah 45, I think you have that, that last verse there in point one. Here's what Isaiah says I formed the light. And I create the darkness. God says, I bring prosperity and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Your heavens above rain down righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness grow with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him. Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? Then it's a tough thing to follow a sovereign God. Here's the second uncomfortable truth. Second uncomfortable truth is this, that our pride will fall before God's power. Our pride will always fall before God's power. Because here's the thing. 
God made us, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has made us with this eternity-sized hole in us that we are seeking God. Right? God has made us that. And here's the thing. If God isn't sovereign in your life, something will begin to act sovereign for you. And for most of us, sovereignty isn't, isn't a difficult concept to grasp. We just don't like it when it's God. Hey, if things aren't going our way, this cannot be God's plan. Right? Listen, there's, as executive pastor at Tomoka Christian Church, I can tell you there's a lot of things going on that I have no control over. And sometimes I can be seen as an incredibly bad guy. But I've learned as a guy, I'm learning and I'm continuing to learn as a guy who trusts in a God who's sovereign, there are some things I just got to wait on God for. And listen, if you're in a circumstance today that you don't like, that you think's unfair, and oh, you know, we've got neighbors in our apartment that are terrible neighbors. At three o'clock this morning, they're banging on the floor. They're dragging things across it like it's Planet Fitness at three in the morning. Waking up my grandson and I want to be mad. And yet I know in God's sovereignty, we're there. We're there for a purpose in a season. And I can be mad all I want. Oh, my job isn't right. The church isn't right. Oh, things aren't going well. They're not treating me right. If you don't believe in a God who's sovereign, guess who's going to act sovereign in that moment? You are. You see, the thing about sovereignty is this. You may not like God's sovereignty, but at some point in time, someone's going to act sovereign in your life. Because it is a demand of that eternal size hole inside of you. And Babylon, just that. Babylon acted sovereign and their pride became their identity. And so here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 47. You said, this is Babylon, you said, I'm going to continue forever. The eternal queen I'll be. You did not consider these things that reflect on what might happen. Now then, listen, you wanton creature lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am. The same Hebrew word that God used to describe himself when he told Moses, you tell, you tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. Here's what Babylon said. Babylon said, I am. I'm sovereign now. I'm God now. And there is none besides me. I'll never be a widow or suffer the loss of children, you're going to say. But both of these are going to overtake you in a moment, on a single day, loss of children and widowhood. They're going to come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. You've trusted in your wickedness. Listen, this was the verse that just kept standing out to me. You've trusted in your wickedness and you've said in your trust, no one sees what I'm doing. Your wisdom and knowledge are going to mislead you when you say to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. Listen. Pride. There's a ton of scriptures that talk about pride. Let me just read a few of them to you. Uh, Proverbs 8.13, the, the, the writer of Proverbs says this, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride. Pretty simple, right? I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. How about this one, Proverbs 16.18? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. How about this one? Proverbs 11, chapter 2. Proverbs 11, 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on 
And it goes on. You see, pride is the necessary commodity that you will possess when you take over the role of sovereign in your life. And here's an uncomfortable truth. God's sovereignty is is real. And if you pass on the... Because listen, you've got a choice. I was 22 years old, standing in a cemetery in O'Fallon, Missouri, burying my son. And I had a choice. I had a choice to surrender to a God who is sovereign. Or I had a choice to be angry and remove him and take that job over myself. You see, at 22, I thought you didn't love Jesus if you struggled with that or you took over. And what I've learned as I've lived life now is this. There's many of you in here online, Palm Bay, the land, that love Jesus. But man, you don't like a God who's sovereign. You don't like a God who does whatever he pleases. A God who says to the clay, what right do you have to say to the potter, make me this way or do this or do that. But the problem is, something will be sovereign in your life. And for Babylon, it was them. And when you decide to become sovereign, you decide that you're God. And man, you got no alternative but to be proud of that. And Babylon's pride became so much that here's what they said. We can do whatever we want, get away with it, because no one's going to see. I was 17 years old, 16 years old. Grew up in a house that we had one car. Finally, my dad bought a second car because he worked second shift, 3 to 11. And my dad... Bought us a 1969 Rambler. Some of you are like, what is a Rambler? Go look it up on Google. They're awesome, right? And not only was it a cool car, but the windshield wipers didn't work normally. They were, they were controlled on a vacuum. So you had this little, you had this little rod and you pulled it out and it created a vacuum. And when the vacuum worked, the wipers worked. Thank you, right? One night, we're sitting at home. It's a Friday night. I had a, there was a rule growing up. I, I had an older brother, but my older brother did not do what normal older brothers do. He did not set a very good bar for me. He, he never dated. He didn't get his driver's license until he was 18. Yeah, he never got in trouble. Like, he didn't chop any weeds for me at all. I had to do it all myself. So at 16, I was dating. I wasn't a Christian. I was dating, and my mom had a rule. You can go out with your girlfriend one night on the weekend. Only one. You can go out both nights, but you can only go out with your girlfriend once. Fine. So on Friday nights, I would go out with my girlfriend. And on Saturday night, my buddy David would pick me up and we would go into town. I would drop him off and I would go see my girlfriend. It wasn't, listen, it wasn't complicated. I was sovereign in my life. The minute I got into that rambler, I was in charge. So I would go see my girlfriend on Friday and I'd go see my girlfriend on Saturday. And nobody knew except my sister, Melissa. She was the only person that knew my secret. She was it. She was one of those, I don't know what they call those twins, but she was 11 months younger than me. But because of the way school worked, we went to school every year together. So we tried to have this weird bond. So I took her, took her with me to places and her agreement was, I won't rat you out. Well, this Friday night it was raining and dad had told mom, he is not to take the rambler tonight because the wipers aren't working. Now to this day, it's the most, it's the most, poor I ever acted to my mother. 
And I apologized to her over and over. And God bless you, Mom. I'm still sorry. I apologize, right? But my mom said, you can't take the car. And I said, oh, yes, I am. And she said, no, you know, your dad said you can't take the car. Well, I was six foot four, 200 pounds, and my mom wasn't. And my dad wasn't there. And it got so ugly that eventually my brother, who was older, and who was not as tall, but he was meaner, and he had a wire that was loose. He was crazy, right? He got in the middle of it. It involved a broomstick and swinging it on somebody's back, and it was ugly. And in the middle of it, my sister Melissa came into the kitchen, and she ratted me out. Right? I haven't spoke to her to this day, right? No, I'm just kidding. But she ratted me out. And here, here's the thing. I was sovereign. Because listen, if you don't like a God who does what he pleases, and don't like a God who says, says, Clay, you don't have a right to say to me, do this, fine. But that sovereignty will not go unattended. Somebody will pick up the mantle of it in your life. And for most of us, that'll be us. It was for me. And here's the thing about exercising the sovereignty of God in your life. It makes you arrogant and proud. And I was. I was arrogant and I, and I was proud. And I said in my heart, no one sees. You see, the problem is, is that our pride will never be able to stand against the power of God. Man, God, God is love. Amen, church? Man, He is. But our God is a God who won't tolerate other gods. And you and I, and all of our arrogance, will never be able to stand against, will never be able to stand against the sovereign God. You see, pride always goes before the fall. Listen, there are people in here right now. There are people online and in the land in Palm Bay right now where you've decided to be sovereign in your life. Oh, you're here. You're watching and you love Jesus. I know you do. But you've made the mistake that Babylon made. You made the mistake of choosing to disregard God's sovereignty. Don't like it. I don't like where I'm at, God. I don't like your plan. I don't like your purpose. This isn't right. These people aren't nice. They're treating me unfair. So you know what, God? I'm going to be sovereign. The problem is that makes us arrogant. And it makes us proud. And then it makes us think we're getting away with stuff we're really not. You see, the uncomfortable truth is that God is sovereign. But our God is also a God who will take down our pride. Proverbs 16.5 says this. I think that's the last verse, Lori, in point two. Proverbs 16.5. The, the psalmist says this. Proverbs 16.5. It's the one right after that. Do you have it? There you go. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Everybody read this with me. Everybody deland, Palm Bay, Bound Line. Be sure of this. They will not go punished. They'll not go unpunished. But here's the last part. Here's the last truth in this passage, and that's this. God redeems mankind. See, there's, there's still hope in this, right? There's still hope 
in this for us. In Isaiah chapter 47, verse 4, the writer interjects this verse in the middle of this. And he says this, our Redeemer. Everybody say, our Redeemer. Our Redeemer, the Lord Almighty is His name, is the Holy One of Israel. You see, in the midst of a world of people who can become sovereign and that sovereignty lead to pride, you and I need to know this, our God is still our Redeemer. It says it this way in several other passages. Listen to Ephesians 1, 7. Paul writes it this way. In Jesus, we have redemption. We have been purchased. It's what Cody talked about today. Listen, the value of something isn't what you think of it. The value of something is what somebody's willing to pay for it. Right? Listen, I, I don't get why anybody would pay a professional athlete, you know, $46 million a year to play basketball. But man, I was wanting to find out when I was a kid, right? Why do they get paid that much? I don't know. But because somebody thinks that what they do has that much value. You see, the power of redemption is that it tells you what someone thinks you're worth. And here's what we know. Our Redeemer, Jesus, still redeems mankind. Our Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, in Jesus, we have redemption through His what? Blood. He didn't walk in and just go, you know what, I got a couple of knickknacks in the back, I'll give you those for cord. Nope, that isn't what happened. Jesus said, I'm going to give you my very life. I'm going to give my life for these people. Redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. How about this one in Hebrews 9, 11, and 12? The writer of Hebrews says this, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, Jesus went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. He didn't walk into the tabernacle made by humans in the desert. He went to the more perfect tabernacle that's not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place. Listen to this. Once. Everybody say once. And he did it for who? For for all. Why do we go everywhere? Why does Tomoka want you to go everywhere and do everything? Because Jesus did it for all by his own blood. Listen to this. And Jesus didn't walk in there and go, listen, I need to buy cord some time until he can get it right. No, the Bible says that when he went in, he bought what kind of redemption? Everybody say it with me. Eternal redemption. Everybody in Palm Bay to land online. Everybody here in Norm. Everybody say eternal redemption. Do you realize the thing that God's given you to redeem you lasts for all eternity? Can I please hear an amen? amen? Listen, that's good news, people. Especially for people who struggle with God's sovereignty and want to replace God's sovereignty with their own sovereignty and sit here this morning, right here in Ormond, right there in Palm Bay, right there in the land and watching online. And our pride has consumed us to the point that we think, hey, we're getting away with this. Our God still redeems us. Our God still cares about this one. How about this one in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 18 through 21? For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. Listen, Jesus didn't give money. He didn't give things that you and I could... Listen, if you had silver and gold today, man, we'd be happy. He said, I didn't do that. He said that gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers? No. But Jesus redeemed us with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
Jesus was chosen. God is sovereign. Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last days and these last times for your sake. And through him, listen to this, through Jesus, you believe in God who's sovereign, who takes down the proud. And God raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Listen, there are some uncomfortable truths in the world that you and I have to accept. God is sovereign. And either it's going to be the eternal God who created heaven and earth, or it's going to be a substitute. And if you choose to be the substitute for sovereignty, you might as well know the next thing that happens is you're going to develop some pride. And that pride, according to Scripture, man, our pride's always going to befall, always going to fall before the power of God. But maybe the truth that's most important for you today is this, that our Redeemer does live. And that God's been playing tug-of-war with your spirit. He's been pulling on you. He's been, he's been nudging you. He's been speaking to you. And maybe in this space or in Ormond or in Palm Bay or DeLand or online, you've been wrestling with it. And today's the day to make the decision. If it's here in Norman, right up here to the right of the stage, there'll be people up there. We'd love, listen, we'd love to talk to you about that tug of war and that decision you need to make to believe in a Redeemer who bought you eternal redemption. If you're online, just hit that button. Palm, Bay and Deland, David and Ben will be up at the front. Same thing. Or maybe you're here today and you just love Jesus. If you love Jesus, can I hear you say amen? Listen, maybe you've been playing God too long in your life. And maybe you don't like a sovereign God who does what he pleases. But he doesn't like you playing God either. And maybe it's time for you to just come clean and say, I've done it long enough. Maybe you need to see somebody to pray with you right up here to the left of the stage. There are people up there that you can speak to here in Ormond. Same thing in Palm Bay and land. David and his team will be there online. There are prayer people that will pray with you as well. Let me end by showing you this picture found this picture online. Two lines, right? Comforting lies. Listen, I can stand up here and tell you things that will make you feel better about yourself. I can tell you all kinds of things. I can tell you how smart you are. I can applaud your decisions for being God. I can do all of that. I can give you all kinds of comforting lines. Or you can get in the line of the unpleasant truth. Things difficult to comprehend. I guess the question for you today here, Palm Bay to land online, the question is this, which line are you going to choose? Let's pray. Father, I know it's a tough, I know it's tough to talk about. Man, it's a tough thing to comprehend when we feel so big and we feel so strong and we feel so powerful and we feel so knowledgeable to realize that within your schemes, when it comes to being sovereign, we are small. We're not, we're not crazy, we're not crazy happy with the analogy of being clay in the hands of a potter. And yet that's what it's like to trust in a God who is sovereign. But you tell us you're also good. You're not just a God who's sovereign, but you're a God who is good. And you're a God who works all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So, God, I pray that you would just continue to do the good that you promised that you'll do in the lives of these people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.